Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly. Thanks for listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report. Before you take a recess to hear the latest internet law news and commentary, you are hereby ordered to download the Webmaster Radio.fm mobile app for iPhone and Android. Okay, maybe not ordered. But why not? You can listen live to my show and all our show hosts every day on our live stream or download past episodes with ease. So download the webmasterradio.fm mobile app in the iTunes store or in the Google Play store. It's an open and shut case. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, in the heart of Silicon Beach. Pleasure to have you. And today is May Day. This is the one day you can actually say May Day, May Day, and, and not be a, a, a bad thing. But um, And I'm sure there's a lot of May Day celebrations all over. But um, we're going to have a good show for you today. We're going to start off with some news updates. A lot, a lot has happened um, in the last couple of weeks that we, we haven't really addressed. And then um, in the second half hour, we're going to have Michael Weinberg. He's the um, vice president um, for at Public Knowledge, and they have a campaign dealing with ISP data caps. And there's a, there's a, a good argument to be made that data caps have nothing to do with bandwidth, but have everything to do with preventing um, competition and content, particularly and preventing people from migrating from um, cable sources to um, streaming video. And so he's going to talk about that. They have a campaign going on, um, but we have we have some news to update. But first, a little bit about today in history. Uh, you know, I'm big, I'm a big fan of that. Um, and sometimes, I guess history is has a sense of irony. Um, today and um, today is the day that um, it was announced that Hitler was dead, and it's also the day that it was announced that Osama bin Laden was dead. Um, and um, and coinc- also coincidentally, it is the day that George Bush announced that mission accomplished that that famous staged event on the aircraft carrier in San Diego, and um, where he announced mission accomplished. Um, and of course, um, that was President Obama who actually announced that Osama bin Laden had been captured and killed. So um, a little bit of irony there. And um, also today in history, some interesting things. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Senna. It's about a 
the Brazilian um, Formula One race car driver, and, and I'm not a big Formula One fan. I know very little about the sport, but it was a fascinating documentary, and um, today is the day that he was killed um, in a race, and um, and shockingly, the um, the race went on despite you know normal protocol that the races are suspended when there's a driver killed, and um, and that all comes out in the documentary. So if you never saw it, um, he, he, this guy was quite electrifying in this sport. And in tech, we always talk about um, disrupting you know technology, and um, here's a guy who was a disruptor, and sometimes you, you pay a price for being the disruptor, and and Senna did, and um, unfortunately it cost him his life, and um, but. Interesting point. Um, we also have some interesting things in history, and uh, I'd like to point out. And um, one of them is that um, today is the day that um, right here. Today is the day we had started Amtrak. But also say the Gary Powers incident. Um, you two, um, Gary Powers was shot down over the Soviet Union, and um, that's kind of at the when the whole Cold War and was really heating up, um, and followed with the Bay of Pigs invasion, and then. Um, the whole Cuban Missile Crisis, and so um, that was kind of the start of a very tense time uh, among the countries. And um, but it's um, the other thing is that today is the day the Empire State Building was dedicated. And I had a client actually that did a musical um, play um, based on the Empire State Building called Empire, and uh, it was nominated for a local um, award here, an ovation, an ovation award here in L.A., and it played off Broadway. And if it's ever showing in your area, it's really fascinating. You, know, you forget how many people were killed, you know, and just you know falling falling off um, in the construction of the, that giant building. And uh, and you also forget, um, you know, we think of the Empire State Building as just this stunning icon of New York, and um, it was actually in some ways a very daring move. It it was built in Midtown. At a time when you know business really hadn't reached out that far, um, that was kind of the hinterland for the business community. So that was a risky thing. But it was also built during the Depression, and um, it would take until the 1970s actually, when the till the Empire State Building actually started making money. Um, you know, and the, getting tenants was not an easy thing. But um, Al Smith, the, um, the New York governor and presidential nominee who got trounced by Hoover, um, he. Uh, he uh, put his um, stature behind it and got it done, and I think we're all glad he did. It's quite an icon. Um, it was in a battle with a Chrysler building to be the tallest building in the world, and it, it all came down to the spire at the top. But um, just an interesting, interesting story behind there, and just wanted to highlight that. But um, so we, today we're going to um, talk a little bit about some of the updates that have been going on, and you know nothing is bigger than really than CISPA. And um, that is um, legislation that would allow um, private sector companies to share information with the government and do so without liability. Um, and there's a big controversy over to what extent um, that, well, first of all, what, what should be shared, what are the obligations of the private sector companies to, to protect the privacy of their users and um, it was felt that um, there was a widespread opposition. It was felt that very little was done in that regard. And, and while this is voluntary, it doesn't require the sharing of information. Um, as we saw during you know, the period after 9-11 when there was a lot of pressure applied to, you know, for example, AT&T to just open up its um, data lines, uh, you know, there was a concern that you know, voluntary may not become voluntary and that a lot of pressure would be applied. But what's happened since uh, it passed the House, um, 
it has now been stalled in the Senate. The, um, the Senate leaders have indicated it's not going to happen. And President Obama has also said that he would veto it in its current form. And so there's a lot of debate about CISPA, but the one thing we know um, is that it, it probably isn't going to happen um, just like last year. So, um, but it has caused a big, a lot of controversy. And um, it's, it's kind of um, going to be an ongoing debate, you know, because uh, there is going to be some form of sharing and we, need to, we do need to address some cybersecurity issues. The question is how to do it. And um, how to do it in a way that uh, doesn't impose too many burdens on business, um, doesn't sacrifice people's privacy, um, but also allows the government to respond to this growing concern over cybersecurity. And you know that was one thing that came out in the debate over CISPA was that um, you know there were some who questioned whether we you know there really is a cybersecurity threat. And noticing that um, the F you know for example Citibank. Um, minimize the damage that resulted from their data breach that happened last year, and I think that's missing the point. I think you know the fact that Citibank puts a spin on something in its SEC filings doesn't change the fact that um, you know there's a, a huge um, cyber security problem going on in this country and in the world, and you know people the number of attacks uh, happening on businesses is skyrocketing. You know, I know of someone who you know had was hit by the second largest um, DOS attack in history, and you know that 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 has major impacts on businesses, our economy, and you know we're spending um, trillions and and trying to deal with this issue, and um, and that's you know as the the head of the U.S. Cyber Command noted, you know that that's that's our future being lost. That's money that could be invested in other things in our economy and people's education, you know, dealing with a deficit, um, and so there's a lot of that's you know that's what's happening. You know, there's a loss that's happening um, that went out. Of, you know that I think the, that argument does not account for. Um, you know, for example, there was a 44 percent increase in cyber attacks in 2011. Um, the number of um, attacks on our critical infrastructure over the last two years has increased 1,289 um, percent. I think that is hardly uh, something to scoff at. And then. Um, there are over six million probes or hacks on U.S. government networks daily. Six million, and I could probably tell you how many that is per hour. I mean, just think of how many that are happening right now during this show. Um, so, it is, it is definitely a concern that we need to address. But the question is, how do we how do we do it? And I think that's what that that is getting um, become an issue. And um, one thing, another bill that has caused a lot of attention is the. Um, the bill in California to um, allow consumers to to access um, the data that companies store on them, much like in Europe, that there's that right and became quite famous when a Facebook user in Germany actually asked to see what all the information Facebook had, and, and we was quite shocked when he found got like um, I forget the number of pages, but it was you know, at least eighty, and it could have been more, and uh, you know, it was it caused quite a stir to realize that Facebook had all this information on people, and but you know. If that is, um, there's definitely value to a consumer in knowing that. Um, so the question was, what, what, what do we do? And um, the Silicon Valley has come forward and, and thought that the, the bill proposed by Assemblywoman Lowenthal um, from Long Beach, you know, um, who I have met, and it is right now on hold. 
Um, basically, the business community has been able to stall that bill. Um, whether that means that how long that holds will last, I don't know. But it is um, so far in, in not advancing, but it's definitely got a lot of attention. And then um, there's the whole question about privacy in Congress, and that's become um, somewhat stalled as well. Um, the um, major ad networks are, are upset with Mozilla and Microsoft for Internet Explorer for making um, default settings that require an opt-in for um, data tracking. And um, so that has caused an impasse and a divide within the business community really over what should be the approach for privacy and, and, and tracking and behavioral targeting. Um, and I, I think, you know, given the number of players involved in that type of um, legislative process in dealing with this issue. Uh, I, I really think absent a consensus among the business community, you're going to see um, Congress, members of Congress will be reluctant really to move, move forward on this legislation. You know, one, and part of the they, they understand they may not be the, the biggest experts on tech, and um, you know, they're going to want to move forward if tech community doesn't agree. And um, Although you know there are, they do get calls all the time about addressing the question of consumer privacy. So, um, how that will proceed, we'll we'll have to follow and keep you up to date. Um, but it has been a you know definitely it's we've been talking about this issue now for some time. Another issue that has been solved slightly is the Mainstream Fairness Act, um, Tax Fairness Act, which basically, as we've had people on the show discuss. Allow um, states, if you know, if, if they meet certain standards, if they simplify their tax code, to allow states to collect um, sales tax through out-of-state vendors who may not necessarily meet the um, the test in the North, the North Dakota um, Supreme Court decision, but um, Quill, but it would um, allow them to collect through them. And basically, it will kind of circumvent the Amazon tax issue that we've been having now by, you know, basically having it uniform across the country in terms of those states that want to participate. And again, this is not establishing any new taxes, but just merely creating a mechanism to uh, collect taxes that uh, are obligated to pay. Although, you know, in this case, it's the consumer that is obligated to pay, not the, um, the but the businesses, whether or not they have an obligation to collect, is really what this legislation is about. And um, that has been put on hold um, for a couple of weeks. And so, but it could come to the floor um, this this month. And so we will see how that goes. Um, we've had uh, Rebecca Madigan from the Performance Marketing Association on a number of times. And this is a very important issue to her, particularly in light of. You know what happened in New York with the uh, High Court there upholding um, the Amazon tax, which I thought was really an unfortunate decision. I think the fact that they punted and allowed the Supreme Court to decide whether or not Quill um, was still the law of the land in the digital age, I think you know was it was improper. I think you, you, a court has a duty to apply the law as it is and not say, well, I'm not sure this still applies, so I'm going to ignore it until the Supreme Court tells me otherwise. Yeah, that was a political decision and an unfortunate decision, I think, by the New York Court of Appeals. So um, this we could have quite a busy spring on you know in terms of what's going to happen in Washington with um, some attempt to address cybersecurity, um, some attempt to address privacy, some attempt to address um, the the sales tax collection issue. Um, but 
at the same time, and also in Sacramento, we could have a, a fight on the issue of um, to what extent can the consumer find out what information is collected. So that those are all um, moving forward, and so it could be an interesting year in Washington. You know, so far we've been relatively quiet about what is going on there, but um, you know, we're looking, we could get an interesting period and uh, something definitely to look forward to. But um, so um, that's all coming up, and we'll, of course we'll be having guests on to talk about that as it happens. Now, another major development that's happened in Washington is that um, President Obama has actually named, um, we have a nominee for the um, Federal Communications Commission. And why is that important? Um, and we're going to be talking about that in, with our guest. And it's important because the FCC, there are a number of major battles going on. And one of the battles that are occurring is over um, the um, in net neutrality. And so the question is, does the new um, nominee support net neutrality? And um, that's something that it's going to be a big debate over. Um, we haven't really got. A, I don't think we have a clear indication yet um, where, what his position is. But I have to think that if President Obama has invested um, as much as he has in net neutrality, that it will be um, something that, that will be pursued by the um, the new nominee. And so um, we're hoping that that's the case, and at least from my my, my perspective. And um, but it's an important issue. And but you know the. We may have the issue teed up anyway because it's been pending now for over a year. But the decision on the appeal over the FCC net neutrality guidelines are coming. It should be heard this summer, and so we will try to figure out where that issue is going and will there be will it survive challenge? Now, there's um. Something being circulated in today's press uh, over the um, the new nominee, and um, in terms of some of the quotes that have been made about issues um, on net neutrality, the, the nominee, by the way, is a guy named um, Tom Wheeler, and he um, has actually been a lobbyist for the um, the, the wireless industry. And um, so um, on net neutrality, Wheeler tried to convince network operators to back the FCC's net neutrality policy by arguing rules that recognize the unique characteristics of spectrum-based service and allow for reasonable network management would seem to be more important than the philosophical debate over whether there should be rules at all. Um, which is actually, you know, as a side note, which is that's where we're at. And we're arguing, should this be area be regulated at all? Um, the wireless industry's initial reaction to net neutrality was to question its need and warn of unintended consequences. Accepting the inevitability of the concept, uh, however, and working to maximize its positive effects from appropriate network management to flexible pricing and even new spectrum could be the opportunity for a big win. So um, I think that's hardening for those who are supporters of that neutrality, and um, so, and that's definitely um, something that will be grilled on extensively when he's up for confirmation. On internet privacy, um, Wheeler proposed entrusting network operators rather than content providers or web companies themselves. Should Apple or Google have shown their true colors regarding consumer privacy? Um, network operators would could become the consumer's privacy protector by not allowing such information to pass without consumer consent. 
Um, it's not that the use of information is bad, it's whether a consumer have any control over the use of the information created. Um, so it, those are things we're going to be hearing about, I think, as he's, his confirmation process goes forward. But you know, we saw that there's a strong opposition in Congress to net neutrality. They actually came within a couple of votes of overturning um, the regulation under the procedures of um, where Congress can vote to overturn a regulation by the FCC. And so, um, you know, this will definitely be a contentious nominee uh, again. And then with all the abuse of the filibuster that's out there, um, there could be a possibility that the nomination just gets um, tied up in politics and it does not move forward, unfortunately. So um, we'll see that, whether that happens or not. Um, and um, so, we will um, definitely be uh, keeping you up to date on that as that goes forward. And um, we, um, this might be a good time to take a short break. And um, but when we come back, um, we'll, we'll be talking to Michael um, from Public Knowledge and um, talking about um, all these issues involving the FCC nomination and data caps um, after these messages from Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brad Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Aim clear. This is how you sell with social. Have you tried to do CPA conversions using social PPC and failed? You're not alone. These days, Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube require true specialists to dominate. <laughs> AimClear, the agency, brings definitive psychographic targeting, bleeding-edge creative, and killer content amplification to the social advertising table. AimClear, this is how you sell with social. AimClear, this is how you sell with social. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. My name is Jim Gray, and I am a judge of the Superior Court in California. Did you know that since the federal government first banned marijuana in 1937, that usage in this country has gone up by about 4,000%? Or that an American is arrested on marijuana charges every 38 seconds? If you are wondering if any of this makes sense, you are not alone. To find out more, contact the Marijuana Policy Project at 1-877-JOIN-MPP or visit them on the web at mpp.org. New York Times bestselling author and serial entrepreneur, Joel Com will inspire, inform, and entertain you. Search, social, local, mobile, and everything Web 2.0. It's all here on the Joel Com Show. On demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and 
um, we're going to start a discussion about um, data camps with Michael Weinberg. He's the vice president for the Institute of Emerging Innovation at Public Knowledge. Um, he's been um, there for a couple of years, and he um, he's also he's done a lot of work on the FCC. He's a veteran on our show. Um, he is from George Washington University Law School, and also his uh, West Coast connection. He was at Claremont McKenna College, where he got his um, BA in history and government. Michael, you with us? I am. Thank you for having me. And um, so we have a definitely an interesting day um, to be talking about the FCC with um, <laughs> the, the announcement of Mr. Wheeler. I know you, know, you probably guys are still digesting um, what exactly that means, and um, but. What, what is your assessment of the nomination of Wheeler, particularly as it pertains to net neutrality? So we're uh, we're we're encouraged by it. Um, obviously, you never know what's going to happen once someone uh, is is in a position of leadership at, at the FCC. But we think that Mr. Wheeler has uh, certainly a depth of knowledge in the area and is very familiar with all of the issues. And we are uh, fairly confident that he's going to approach those issues with an open mind and with an eye towards what is best for the public interest and, and really kind of examine them from a, a true public interest standpoint. Uh, so we're, we're hopeful right now. And um, yeah, it's, can someone who supports net neutrality get through the Senate without a confirmation without a filibuster? Well, I mean, right now, the FCC has open Internet rules, has FCC, has, uh, has net neutrality rules. So it is, uh, at least for now, the law of the land. Uh, and so it will be interesting to see what that conversation is like. But it's, it's, it may be he's slightly differently positioned than, uh, than, than Chairman Janikowski was in the sense that um, you know, he can at least say, I will defend the rule as it exists as opposed to having a question of do you think this should be a rule or not. But it's, it's, it's an open question. I think that um, he is fairly well respected all around in Washington, and so we are hopeful that at the very least the Senate gives, uh, you know, gives the president's nominee an, an honest sort of a straight up or down vote. And then, um, you know, the other issue on net neutrality and before we switch to data caps, but sure. you know, the, the issue could be decided for him, could it not, if the D.C. Circuit acts? Yeah, I mean, there are obviously, uh, you know, the, the open Internet rules, the FCC's net neutrality rules are currently being challenged in court, and the court could, could rule in a number of different ways. Uh, they could certainly say... Uh, these rules are fine. The FCC has, absolutely has authority to do this, and so uh, the rules stand. They could say the FCC does not have authority and throw them out. They could choose some middle way. But uh, as, as, the, as, a, as the head of the FCC who believes in net neutrality, you certainly would have a lot of leeway to respond no matter how the court rules. And so because there are so many kind of different directions it can take, it's hard to say what the actual options are going to be. But uh, certainly, I think that as the chairman of the FCC, he will be in a position to react however the court rules. Now, um, we, we, we brought you on to talk about data caps. And for, for those who are unfamiliar with data caps, this is something that seems to have emerged um, from ISPs in, in the last few years. Give us a little background on that and how that came about. 
Sure. So data caps uh, are limits on how much data you can use in a month. And once you hit that limit, there, what happens can vary. Uh, sometimes you get kicked off your your internet connection for for as long as a year. Uh, sometimes you have to pay extra money. Sometimes your connection gets slowed down. Something happens when you cross that threshold. And we've seen them uh, emerge both in the wireless side and the wired side. So at this point, although when when high speed, when 3G mobile data was first rolled out uh, by the carriers, almost all the carriers had basically were offering an unlimited data package. At this point, uh, Verizon and AT&T have stepped away from that. T-Mobile is sort of in a, a middle ground. So Verizon and AT&T, if you go over your data cap, you have to pay them extra money. T-Mobile will now throttle you and slow you down. Sprint is the only of the big four carriers, the only one left who ha- offers truly unlimited data. And then on the wired side, so for your, your home Internet access, we started to see data caps emerge as well as early as 2008. And we've seen them uh, kind of popping up in different parts of the country. And those caps are higher than they are on the wireless side, but they certainly are, are, are very existent. And the, the rationale, if, if I'm, you know, Mr. AT&T and I'm sitting in front of Congress, I'm telling them the rationale is network management. I want to make sure my network doesn't get overloaded. And um, is, is that more or less what they're saying? Well, it's it, it's funny. It's funny you have that question because um, the the rationale has shifted significantly <laughs> over time. Um, at one point, which is always I, a good, that's, yeah, that, that's a good test of. of how yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I mean, so at one point, uh, Comcast was telling the FCC that uh, whatever data caps were for, they were absolutely not about network management. And then we went through a phase where data caps were all about congestion and network management. Uh, and that was sort of the story that people were, or ISPs were focusing on. But the problem with that story is it kind of fell apart when you paid attention to it because, I mean, obviously we all know uh, network congestion is something that happens at sort of a moment in time in a, in a place on the network. Right. And so using a monthly data cap to address that sort of specific phenomenon was problematic because uh, you know, the monthly data cap can't tell if you are using data at, you know, during prime time on a Wednesday night or if you are backing up data at 3 o'clock on a Sunday morning. It, it can't tell the difference between those right. two things. But those two things are obviously very different from a, a network congestion standpoint. Um, so after enough people, certainly we, we were repeating that, uh, that flaw a, a couple of times and raising it over and over, we've seen a pivot at least from wired side, so from the cable internet people. And so now they're saying, well, of course, uh, you know, monthly data caps have nothing to do with network management because that would be crazy. That doesn't make any sense. What they're really about is price discrimination, about being able to charge people who value the internet more, more money, and people who value it less, we can offer them a lower priced option. And that's the that's the new justification that we're seeing. Is that is that allowed under the law? Sure. I mean, it is. Uh, you know, price discrimination, although it has uh, you know it has discrimination in it, is actually yeah, the, it's sort of a, <laughs> a, an economically neutral thing, right? Price discrimination is the idea that uh, you have a good 
And yeah. you right, and you, you can you can prove you can charge some people who want it more and more, and people who want it less less. And it's actually it's economically efficient because you uh, you don't leave money on the table, and you bring more people into the market. And so there's nothing wrong with the idea of price discrimination. The question is, how do you do it? I mean, we are all familiar with price discrimination with our internet connections because uh, historically there was price discrimination. If you if you think back to the dial-up days based on time, when they were charging by the minute, people who use the Internet a lot paid a lot, and people who use the Internet a little paid a little. Right. Uh, but then we moved on to, this, to the phase we've been in for, since we were in, in the broadband world, which is speed. Right? If, you, if you are someone who values the Internet a lot, who wants to use the Internet a lot, you buy a faster, more expensive Internet connection. If you're someone who really only wants the Internet for email and for you know, occasionally looking up something on Wikipedia then you pay less for a slower connection. And that's been actually, uh, you know, we could talk about this later, but that's been actually a really productive pro-consumer model of price discrimination. When you get rid of that model and you move towards a data cap style price discrimination, you really take steps towards freezing innovation online and and freezing change and, and productivity online. Well, what if they say, you know, well, Michael, I, you know, I know you want to see innovation in the internet, and you want us to have faster broad sp- broadband speed and deploy in more places. Well, this this is allows us to do this because we are we we're taking all those you know um, profits that we're we're squeezing out of you um, internet geeks, and um, we're we're investing it in our, expanding our network. Yeah, I mean, and I think that at least the purpose. But is there any evidence of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you know, we we can have a longer conversation about the profitability of internet of of being an ISP, and I think you know it, it's a, it's an interesting conversation to have because it's easy to say that the per bit price to move data for an ISP is, is basically zero. Um, but there are, you know, you you can't you, you can talk about ca- upfront capital costs and things like that. Although our our friends at the New America Foundation's Open Technology Institute have done some great work on showing that even when you talk about uh, capital costs, so the cost that it costs to set up that network initially, mm-hmm. the cable companies uh, have have paid that off or are taking are moving towards paying that off at a rapid clip, and so there is a huge amount of profit involved with it. But you know, even if we want to take that argument at its face value and kind of accept it for a minute that when ISPs can charge money to people, they can use that money to build out their network, the right. question you have to ask as sort of a sophisticated consumer is, that's fine. Um, how do you decide, how do you signal to people that they should be paying more because they value it more? Um, and, and again, we're not saying that you can't charge people who want to use the Internet, who value the Internet more, more money. We're saying that some ways in doing that are really uh, productive and help fuel a cycle of innovation and growth. And some of them are fairly destructive and at best kind of freeze the Internet as the Internet we know today and stop new innovation and no, new uses from coming up. So, you know, that, that's all well and good. If you were from an ISP, I would say, uh, you know, keep charging for your service, and I hope that you take that money and put it back into the network, but be smart about how you charge for your service. But other than, you know, that, that, that charming 5,000-word, um, you know, terms, terms of condition and 10-point 10, 10 <laughs> font, um, what disclosure do consumers get that you know, they're, they're going to be throttled or pay more or, or something? 
Yeah, I mean that can that's that's one of the the other issues about this is just figuring out what your what regime you're living under is complicated. Uh, you know, for most people, certainly for their home internet service, it's not like they can shop around, right? They they have one if they're lucky to option. Maybe two, yeah. So, and so they, they they get they're kind of handed out. Well, here it is, and sign up for it. Um, it's findable on websites. It's certainly find, it's findable if you get a bill with an overage charge mm-hmm. or a phone call from your ISP. But yeah, the ISPs could do more in terms of disclosure, and disclosure is important. But disclosure isn't enough because if the if the your only internet option does a really great job of disclosing to you that you you have a low data cap. You still have that low data cap, right? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's nice that it's close that I'm screwed, but I'm still screwed, <laughs> right? And so you know, it, it's nice to know that you are being screwed, um, but it's uh, it's it's not a resolution of the problem. But and then now this is an issue you guys have been making um, and others as well, um, uh, and we'll, we'll take the answer after the break. But um, the the issue you've been raising is. Um, Data caps are not about bandwidth. Data caps are not about network management. Data caps are about competition and content. And um, so we're going to talk about that after these messages from Webmaster Radio. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. We're back. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Time now for another exciting episode of Face of Analytics. Brought to you by AnalyticsSEO.com. In our last adventure, our hero was fending off his evil nemesis, Rhino the <laughs> Algo. Oh, that ruthless Rhino has updated the algorithm again, and our website is falling down the rankings fast. Have no fear. Use our automated SEO tool to stay updated and to monitor your site with detailed reports. Or use our multi-site project management tool to manage all of your sites to stay on top. Take it from our fearless friend and be your own SEO hero with AnalyticsSEO.com. Ever wondered how you could have access to your own SEO expert, paid search specialist, or social media wizard? Looking for help with your affiliate, display media, or email marketing? Look no further than the folks at Fang Digital Marketing. Fang Digital specializes in both paid and organic search, social media, display, and mobile advertising solutions, and is staffed by industry veterans from Google, Yahoo, and one of the industry's most influential PPC experts. Fang Digital's award-winning staff stays on top of the latest in digital trends and offer tailored solutions so they can audit your progress and build a roadmap to your success. Learn more about their expanding range of full-service strategic marketing solutions at fangdigital.com. That's F-A-N-G digital.com. I'm John Ball, and I'm one of the founders of Page One Power. Page One Power is a custom link building firm based in Boise, Idaho. We increase search rankings and web traffic for world-class brands and mom-and-pop shops all around the globe. Our link building strategies work because we focus on relevancy and quality, and we don't outsource anything. Our in-house staff of professional writers and researchers is the best in the industry. We're the link builders you've been looking for. Visit us today at pageonepower.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. 
Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Want to learn what it takes to drive truckloads of targeted traffic, convert the highest percentage of leads, and make the most money? Traffic leads money. On demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and we have Michael on Weinberg. We were talking about data caps, and uh, I was very rude. I posed a question, and then we went to break. So <laughs> Michael started to answer um, about the question of to what extent are data caps really about content and uh, pre- preventing competition in content. And Michael, are you still with us? Yes. So, so um, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so there's, as we were talking about before the break, kind of these these larger, almost uh, policy concerns about data caps and the impact they can have on the growth of the Internet and the, the way they reduce incentives for people to try new things and therefore evolve the way we use the Internet. But there's also a slightly more concrete concern, which is this idea that, especially when you're talking about the wired ISPs, the cable ISPs, you're in a situation where the content that a lot of people would like to access over that broadband connection competes directly with another side of their business. So you have a cable company, they're in the cable TV business, the pay TV business, and we've seen lots of reports. Uh, I'm one of them. I'm sure many of your listeners are, are of people who cut the cord, who say, I don't need to pay for cable anymore. I want to use the Internet to access video because it has the video that I want, the pricing structure that I want, whatever it is. And so cable companies have a completely rational business incentive to make sure that your Internet video experience is never so good that you'd want to replace your pay cable package with an Internet-only option. And so this is a real kind of concrete competition concern where data caps take a a role in that. And we've seen already uh, Comcast has an app for the Xbox 360 that allows you to watch Comcast Xfinity branded online video. So you 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 have an Xbox and you can watch uh, your Comcast video, you can watch Netflix, you can watch whatever else you want, you can watch YouTube. But the Comcast online video is actually exempted from its data cap. Mm. And so data caps can be used anti-competitively in that way to drive you towards some content over other content. But also, uh, many of these caps, almost all of these caps, are set so low that you could never replace cable television levels of video watching with Internet-based video watching. Now, wouldn't that be a net neutrality violation? Well, it's... uh, it certainly is problematic from the concept of the net neutrality violation. The question is, does it violate the rules as written? And actually, uh, last year, we filed a complaint at the FCC about that Comcast Xbox um, practice. But the way that we framed that complaint was actually in the terms of Comcast's 
when Comcast merged with NBC, the FCC put a number of conditions on Comcast, the new, the new Comcast NBC, which is basically just Comcast. Uh, and one of those conditions was that Comcast couldn't take steps to undermine online video competitors. This seemed like a very obvious step in that direction. And so that was the way that we filed that complaint because mm. it, was, it, was, it was a Comcast-specific set of rules. And but it, it does you know, the the concept is there and that that's the problem. Now yeah, I, I find it frustrating. For example, uh, I uh, I'm a basketball fan and you know I can walk five steps from my computer and, and or, you know ten steps and watch a game on on the, my TV, but I can't get it on my laptop or my iPad, and I I just want the mobility and it's it's frustrating. Although being from LA, the more frustrating thing is actually watching the game. <laughs> yeah, and you know, there are plenty of people, the NBA is, is sort of um, slower on this, but certainly Major League Baseball has been a long-time leader in allowing fans to watch watch games over the internet uh, who sign up for MLB TV. The NHL is doing the same sort of thing um, where people say, yeah, I, I want to watch, you know, if, if you are lucky enough to be a fan in market, you've always had that TV option, but if you are a fan out of market, the internet, the internet video is the best thing that ever happened to you. I mean, I, I know plenty of people who their summer productivity takes a significant dip because they can watch all of their team's baseball games online wherever they are. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I remember there was that classic um, game between um, the, was the Texas Rangers and St. Louis Cardinals that went into extra innings, and I didn't sign up for the, the video part. I was actually watching the the um, the kind of two dimensional animated version of the oh, game. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I've... <laughs> and, and I, I found it really exciting. And yet, you know, all I had to do was walk, you know, fifteen feet away, or thirty feet away, and I could actually see players and swinging bats and all. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've we, we've we've all watched our share of uh, of little animations with updates, waiting for the next update. But um, so you guys have launched a campaign on the data cap issue. You sent a letter to Congress, and tell us a little about what what you're trying to do there, and when, what do you think might happen? Sure. So, like I said, one of the things that we worry about with data caps is this is this competitive angle. And while online video as an industry isn't mature yet in the sense that cable and broadcasting is it's still a very real industry. There are a significant number of people who are doing this full-time. There are companies of significant size. But, and this may come as a surprise to some, some of your listeners, uh, members of Congress aren't all necessarily at the absolute bleeding edge of technology and what's going on online. And so many of them don't think of online video yet as a, a, a real commercial marketplace. You know, if they are aware of it, they say, okay, well, there are some, you know, hamsters on a piano on YouTube or whatever it is, or some cats <laughs> riding skateboards, but it's, that, it's sort of that, that's all that it is. And maybe they're vaguely aware of Netflix and things like that. But so yeah, they, they, they probably still think we use the Pony Express. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, depending on who they are. Uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, Congress is diverse like America is diverse, and, and some of Congress is, is unaware of what's going on. Um, so what we wanted to do as part of a kind of a, a larger, as part of our larger data cast campaign, was just sort of make Congress aware of the fact that there are people and there are companies who are doing online video professionally and at scale. So 
We've got a website. It's called don'tcapthat.org. And the first big thing we put up on that website is it's just a letter. And it's a letter from online video creators telling Congress, essentially, we exist. <laughs> We're real. Uh, and these are, it has about 30 signatories. Uh, many of them are people that you will recognize. And they're folks who are doing online video for real. They do it in all sorts of different ways, but uh, they collectively have uh, over 3.8 billion views on YouTube. And that's just one platform wow. that they're on. And that, that's, a, that's a not insignificant number of views, right? These are people who are, who are doing this at scale. And so the point of the letter really was to kind of just make Congress aware that this is an industry that exists and it's an industry that has an incredibly bright future but is vulnerable to their incumbent competitors who also control that pipe that they need to connect to people. So what we've asked people to do is, is go to the website, and again, it's don'tcapthat.org, check out the letter, and then also uh, tell us what, what you do online and what data caps will make it hard for you to do it online. Because a lot of, a lot of uh, convincing and making Congress and the FCC understand the importance of uh, the problems that data caps can raise is our stories, our examples. And so the more stories, the more examples we have, we can find that story, we can find that example that will really resonate with whoever we're talking to. And when we have, oh, you know, it's great to have that one, it's great to have five, it's great to have ten, it's great to have a thousand different stories, each one of which is, is going to be just right for that decision maker. So that's what we're, we're that's what we're doing right now. It's just to, I mean, it, it seems kind of, it seems to some of your listeners it may seem kind of, uh, weird to have to start there, but we're starting with this is an industry that exists. It's very real. It's very dynamic, and it's growing at an impressive clip. And, and you conclude the letter by saying, um, you know, this much is clear. Data caps are an easy way for existing pay television providers to make their online video competitors less attractive to viewers. Um, and a very important point. One critique I would have is that your first secretary is, it looks like it's alphabetical, is Greg Benson. And his name of his film, his organization is Mediocre Films. <laughs> <laughs> That's not really starting off on a strong point. I know, but you know, I mean, you know, Greg, Greg is great. Greg, if you, if you click through there, Greg's videos have uh, 250 million views. So, you know, mediocre, they're, they're mediocre to him, but they're, they're very well loved online. <laughs> <laughs> I just saw that and it struck me like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's uh, it, it, when you have a great a great production company, sometimes you want to pick a name that uh, that stands out on a list, and I guess that one did. Oh, it certainly does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you let you know, I don't know if you get what he's saying has to deal with critics, but I'm sure uh, uh, critics have used that one or two times. <laughs> but he's, look, he's doing tell, all right, even with the mediocre film uh, named his company. So tell us about some of the signatories here. I noticed you have the um, National Film Society. Um, that does a prominent name. Um, and I'm trying to see who else I recognize here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting cross-section. So we have, uh, we have Greg, we have uh, Dane Bow is the next person on that list, and he, uh, he is the guy behind Annoying Orange, who uh, some of your listeners may know. Um, so th they represent people who are kind of on-camera 
personalities. They run, uh, they run their own production companies. Kim Ivey is a great example. She is, she was a partner uh, with Felicia Day, her producing partner for The Guild and for uh, a lot for Geek and Sundry. So a lot of their online video things they were working together with. Um, we have Eric Martin, who's the general manager of Reddit, and Reddit is, is yes. making a significant move into online video, uh, and which is which is exciting. Uh, Charlie Todd is is does is runs a group called Improv Everywhere. Improv Everywhere isn't necessarily a video first organization, but it's an organization that uses video to sort of show people what they're up to and and what they're doing, and so. It's a it's a pretty it's a pretty broad stretch of of folks, and the reason for that is because online video has a broad stretch of people involved, right? You obviously you have on-air talent, you have producers, you have camera you have camera folks. I mean, Mike Gaines does does images, does post production, does special effects. Um, so these are all people who are involved in all aspects. Jenny Powell is a producer. Of, uh, of online videos and also is the person in charge of VidCon, which if you ever wonder if online video is for real, uh, VidCon is a convention that's held in Anaheim every year and they take over the Anaheim Convention Center. I mean, it is, uh, it's a huge number of people who are involved. Now, we only have a few minutes left. If people want to find more, more about this issue or find out more about public knowledge, how should they do that? So if you want to find out more about the issue, uh, the first stop, I think, would be don'tcapthat.org. Take a look at the letter. Take a look at the signatories, and do. I mean, tell us what you use the internet for. What would, what a data cap would stop you from doing? Because as I said, the stories are important. And then, obviously, uh, on a, on a bigger front, check out publicknowledge.org because data caps is something that we're focused on a lot. But there are all sorts of other things that we are we're doing at public knowledge. We just put up a video. We had a great 3D printing event here in Washington last week. And so it's a, it's a huge range of things from data caps to 3D printing and everything in between. Uh, we're, 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 we're taking care of here at public knowledge. Well, public, you've been doing great work over there. And I want to thank you for joining us again, Michael. And it's been a pleasure. And everyone, please check out their site and check out don'tcapthis.com.org. And it's cap with a C, not a T. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> don't cap that.org. Don't cap that.org. Definitely check that out. Um, just a couple of quick shout outs. We've only got the 30 seconds left. Um, shout out to Kelly Duval Smith. Um, she has an art show at the um, Georgetown. Um, Preparatory in Washington, D.C. She's a great artist. She's a friend. And if you're in Washington, definitely check it out. It's running um, through May 7th. And then um, um, we've had um, the um, ISSALA has having their annual um, Information Security Summit. We've had Stan Stahl, the president, on a number of times. And they're having the Security Summit May 21st, the growing cyber threat, Protect Your Business. And they're having a keynote speaker is Howard Schmidt, the former CEO of Google and um, the cybersecurity coordinator for the White House. So that is um, May 21st at the Universal City Hilton in Los Angeles. So check it out. This is Bennett Kelly. I want to thank you all for joining us. You've listened to Cyber Law and Business Report. See you next week. Have a happy Rhode Island Independence Day on May 4th. And we'll talk to you later on. Cheers. Course adjourned.
This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.